0: The conservative
1: conscience and welcome back to the conservative conscience here in the Arctic tundra of central Maryland. And I am telling you, it is cold. It is really cold here and I still have my head cold, Um, but great to be back with you. New week here, Monday, January 21st. It is MLK day when we had a dream that we were supposed to be judged by the content of our character not the color of our skin yet all our public policy in this country is done solely based on color of skin it is so sad that we have actually regressed since then when everything is based on political identity politics rather than good public policy not going to get so much into that today but what we are going to talk about today is how we were we are always fighting yesterday's battle Because our media, including conservative media, which is hard to discern these days what is conservative and what's not. And that's why I am here to get you through all the chaos, sort out the fact from fiction, sort out what's important, sort out what it means to be conservative in this era. But the media, even law enforcement, intelligence, all of our government, they need to see planes blowing up and 3,000 people killed. In order to understand that there's a certain problem, and then they'll focus on that problem and never look ahead of the curve at the emerging threats, the trends, the push and pull factors in immigration and national security. What is the threat? What's not the threat? What's the latest thing going on? We're going to discuss the main topic today. We're going to have Todd Benzman back by popular demand on our show to discuss the trend of middle easterners at the border and the problem with that and how the media so badly doesn't want people to know that this is the trend and how our law enforcement and especially the federal government cannot see the problem it has to be you know we have to wait till there's 500,000 people coming across the border from the middle east in order to recognize it's a problem we can never look at a growing trajectory and work to stop it before it's too it's too late we have to always wait till it's too late but I want to first start off with, obviously, over the weekend. So you had Trump announce this amnesty deal. Now, we're going to get into this a little bit more tomorrow when we have more time when we go solo without a guest. But I know a lot of you are thinking, all right, Daniel, you go offline on Saturday. I know some of you put this out on Twitter. Uh, man, he's going to be really ticked off once he finds out what really happened today. And yeah, I was pretty ticked off. I like, man, I can't even enjoy my weekend. And... So many people are projecting on this president and his cabinet a thought process that just doesn't exist. And really, this all stems from the fact that conservative media and these losers around Trump that just don't – Trump has good instincts on this issue, but these people around him, he doesn't have anyone good that gets the immigration issue. They don't understand the latest trends on immigration, That it's no longer about the border wall because we no longer have a problem of resources, a lack of judges, a lack of border agents, a lack of money. We have a lawfare problem. It's a Central American wave. You know, I'll never forget when in 2013 we were warning people, you don't understand, DACA is not the most sympathetic form of amnesty. It's the worst form of amnesty. The worst thing you could do is telegraph the message that you can now come here with kids. You're going to now spawn an entirely new wave of immigration from Central America. And you should see, they're like, no, it's not true, Daniel. Show me. The numbers are down. Ever since the recession, Mexico has, you know, you had all these Pew studies back then. Mexico has net negative migration here. Like, you idiots. I know that. But you got to look at the current trend. There were signs that it was going to pick up from Central America that we were going to open up an entirely new front. We're going to open up an entirely new front. And indeed, it took another two years Told it was already an emergency, and then you know Obama didn't want to do anything about it. For people to say, oh, I guess we do have a problem. Trump got in there, it got better based based on perception, which in itself is a story. And then he also started with, oh, the dreamers, we need to do something about them. It induced another border wave. Then you had the courts come in. With a number of decisions that induced an insane border wave, all centered around the fact that if you're a kid who comes here alone, or if you come here (coughs) as a part of a family, sometimes they steal kids to do this. It created an entire economy for the drug cartels. You know, we had a blockbuster show last week, got great feedback. Um, Roger uh, (coughs) Roger Morgan (coughs) was on the show, and he was former chief of border patrol under Obama, he said this exact point. This is exactly what he lived. And believe me, he saw a lot of these kids were not harmless little kids. He saw gang membership in their eyes. This is what we spawned. And yet even now, they don't recognize it. Um, Daniel, maybe we should agree to some border funding for DACA. You idiot. You tell the cartels that we're going to slowly, gradually build a partial wall, <coughs> so it's going to make it a little harder for you. But on the other hand, we're going to, if you come here as a kid, not only are we going to end the UAC asylum and florist loopholes, much less the standing magnets of sanctuary cities, birthright, citizenship, welfare, K-12 education, <coughs> refundable tax credits, <coughs> stolen ID, all this stuff. I mean, you get to sue our agents and stay in the country for 10 years all that stuff, they're going to come in record numbers. It would be better to do nothing than to offer any form of amnesty in exchange for mere money without any policy changes. So I have a long piece explaining this. It's out today. We're going to link to it in show notes. But today, we're going to have a special guest. I want to focus on a smaller sphere of this, which is not quite as emergency as this deal, which really needs to be blown up. But it still, again, demonstrates the point how even thumb-sucking conservative media, much as liberal media, a lot of intel in government, they refuse to look at growing trends. They're always looking on false paradigms. And then the media wants to do everything they can to ensure the American people don't understand the severity of this border wave in all of its pieces. So Todd Benzman is backed by popular demand, very popular the first time we had him on a couple weeks ago. Um, As you well know, I talk about him all the time. Uh, He served for years as as a journalist, which is pretty rare in our trade. You know, A lot of us are advocates. We're agitators for the right. But this guy is a real journalist covered counterterrorism, Latin America, all things that really are related to both terrorism and the border for Hearst Papers, for Dallas Morning News for a number of years. Then he went on uniquely transitioning uh, to Intel, working for the Texas Department of Public Safety's Intel division, uh, really, really studying this uh, issue, getting classified briefings on it. Uh, dealing with it in all sorts of ways he probably can't even talk about today, but the unique history of both being a journalist and um, law enforcement, Intel, now he's back into journalism, writing for PJ Media, writing for Middle East Forum, the Federalist, and of course he is now Senior Fellow for National Security at Center for Immigration Studies great terrific organization. Hey Todd, great to have you back a second time.
0: Thanks for having me. Always good to be here.
1: No absolutely and I know we could be on the phone forever together. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to focus this a little bit. You know last week you had a Washington examiner came out with an article uh, talking about ranchers warning that hey, we're seeing these rugs on our lawn on our property among many other, Uh, just foreign matter that shouldn't be there clearly from the smugglers and the illegal immigrants coming in. And now this would indicate that some of them are uh, Muslims coming in with prayer rugs. And President Trump tweeted it out. And the media Always, always has to show that this is not true. They're terrified of the public knowing that there are Middle Easterners, Muslims, come across the border, and they just tamp this down. Like, no, this is not true. These are regular rugs. They're not prayer rugs. No, they're they're just used to put over the fence so they don't get hurt going over the wire. And and you and I are sitting and laughing, like we're sitting and looking at trace evidence, um, of something that you know the sky is blue. We we see it. We have thousands of them. We debriefed them. It's kind of like right here. Um, see, so you're sitting in Texas right now, but here on the East Coast, it's about 15 degrees even during the day because of this polar uh, vortex coming down. And it's like, let's say I look out my window. Hmm, do, I, do I see some icicles there? I don't know. Do you think it's below <laughs> freezing outside? Uh, I don't know. I mean, isn't that what's going on here with this whole debate over Middle Easterners coming over the border?
0: Yeah, the the, the prayer rug... Controversy, I guess. There was a, you know, people wrote whole articles about it and uh, did research. And, you know, Washington Post, CNN, everybody, did, you know, spent a lot of time, airtime, and, uh, you know, killing trees to put out that, uh, you know, this is just this whole prayer rug thing is, uh, you know, false, uh, false flag, fake news, uh, Middle Easterners aren't coming. Uh, but all that told me is that. Even after more than a decade that it's been common knowledge that Middle Easterners are coming to the southwest border, the media still can't get it through its head that this is happening. So they're fighting over whether or not uh, rugs are there or what that what that means saying that there are no Middle Easterners coming over when we we don't need rugs to (laughs) demonstrate that Middle Easterners are coming over because we talk to them all the time. We meet them. We interview them. They're in our court systems. They are here, and it's been very well established for well over a decade that Middle Easterners are coming. Forget whether they're leaving prayer rugs behind. We actually have them. So... That's that's my re- reaction to the fight over the prayer rug thing. Uh, they're just not getting it through their head. It's not permeating. It's just not permeating that they're coming. And by the thousands, they're coming every year.
1: You, you know, looking at this whole thing uh, playing out, and, and again, you know, your, your friend, and that's another thing the audience needs to know. You're the one responsible for... <laughs> hooking me up with Jason Jones your colleague at Texas DPS for many years um you know he he always says in the conversations I have with him that law enforcement but certainly the media because we don't put out good data because we don't we fail to tell the truth they don't recognize the severity of a problem until it's too late they're never ahead of the curve it's like we're we're obsessing about airplanes and 911 well you know 3000 people had to die so now it's that but we don't look at emerging So I I really want to go back in history on this whole issue and talk about your experience and how the media really wants to suppress our knowledge on this and the public's understanding of it. But just I first want to talk about understanding strategic threats. I never served in Intel, but I follow this stuff closely enough to know that even if I didn't know the information that you gave to me, and even if I didn't hear the official DHS numbers finally put out this year between three and 4,000, SIA is coming every year recently or not, not coming apprehended. There's certainly a lot more that don't uh, get apprehended. I would know this True. is happening. Why? Push pull. Number one, because the Middle East blew up. Th- this is not the 1990s. This is a new paradigm that you had Bangladesh blow up. Certainly Libya, Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, obviously, they're flooding Europe for the same reason they're going to come to Europe. They're going to come here, albeit it's more expensive and logistically harder. So the numbers aren't going to be as much, but it's obvious it's going to be a growing trend. And then when you look at the poll, how we're having all this amnesty on our side, the same thing that Transmogrified the Mexican migration to an OTM migration other than a Mexican to Central America. It's not unique to Central Americans. Really, anyone could come here now and say, Oh, I have a credible fear. So, you know, for example, you put two and two together. um, Everyone tells me, if you you could speak more to this, if you know, know more about this, but I've heard from ICE agents closer to our northern border that the northern border is heating up. We have the Romanian gypsies coming in. Now I'm not saying they're necessarily a security threat, but you know, just proves that all sorts of people from all over the world that are having issues that are in, you know,
0: raunchy parts of the world
1: are gonna come here. I mean, isn't that obvious?
0: Well the main put the main pull factor for special interest aliens is going to be asylum, just like it is for Central Americans. Last month I was in Panama and Costa Rica and I actually interviewed an Iraqi. I interviewed Iranians. I interviewed Pakistanis and Bangladeshis. And all of them told me that they plan to file for political asylum in the United States because their friends had done so before them and word got back. So it's a magnet, our asylum system. Uh, Also, I'll note that none of the people that I talked to that I interviewed down there in Costa Rica had identification. They lost their passports, so we don't really know who these folks are. And so this becomes a vetting issue and a national security issue. The, the pull factor, just like with Central Americans, is the system of asylum. If you can just apply and, and access the system, you're pretty much in. It, so
1: and, and, and that's yeah. what people fail to realize. People think, "Are you kidding me?" If Middle Easterns were coming, oh man, we 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 get tough on that. But but no, I mean, you know the same. And and you know, I believe this is not the law. This is the judiciary creating it. Um, but if you believe that it's asylum is a mandatory, that's mandatory upon a nation. They assert, and we must give that anyone could just say i have a f- credible fear and they have to be processed and they have to be no matter you know let go uh, consider here for years it's not just limited to central americans um if you come from uh you know i i'll i'll, I'll never forget a couple years ago this guy who was um came through our border he was from uh, gaza and he was saying well his his family was involved with fatah so they were persecuted by hamas you know um same thing with the sunnis and shias we see this all the time you know you know and Mark Morgan who was um the former chief of Border Patrol under Obama for the last seven months he was on the show Friday and he I I said aren't some of those being released I know we have a special process of debriefing them but you know assuming we don't necessarily see a direct threat aren't they released just like the Central Americans he told me some of them are being released
0: yeah quite a few of them get released you know if you're a special interest alien and you come in. There's a whole set of protocols that are supposed to come into play for those migrants that would never come into play for Central Americans or Mexicans. They're supposed to get uh, security interviews while they're still in detention. But often there are so many of them that neither the FBI nor ICE intelligence are able to interview all of them before they have an opportunity to bond out. That's problematic. That's really the, the Achilles heel of special interest alien migration is we don't know who they are and they bond out before we have a chance to learn who they are. A uh, big problem with special interest aliens in that regard. Uh, but in terms of the uh, media uh, just simply blinding itself so willfully to the fact that uh, migrants are, in fact, coming from what I call now prayer rug countries, <laughs> These are countries where prayer, everybody has a prayer rug. So uh, it, it whether or not they're bringing them along is quite beside the point. They're showing up, and the media doesn't want to seem to uh, recognize it. Now, I was in the media. I was, for 23 years, a reporter, and I was a national security reporter. And I ran uh, face-first into this resistance and reluctant while trying to report on this very problem 12 years ago. 12 years ago. (laughs) Yeah. And in that circumstance, I was working for Hearst newspapers in San Antonio, not too far from the border. And my federal uh, sources were telling me, it was rumored at that time, prayer, that's all we had were prayer rugs and trace evidence. It was just sort of this, Rural yeah. legend, I guess that uh, I mean nobody had ever written about it, or there, there was never any proof. I, I remember it, it like about. it was
1: yesterday. I mean, I know we we talked about this, but my my first when I was a tadpole, my first immigration battle was two thousand six, and you know we were trying to stop amnesty. So you know you. Look for multiple different avenues and arguments. So we were trying to open that front. 9/11 was still very fresh. we were concerned. Hey, you know, if they could come in through our visas, you know, with our back door, and back then we didn't even have as much immigration infrastructure, uh, border infrastructure as we have today in terms of agents and um, assets and and fencing. So we're like, heck, I mean, if if we're the terrorists, we come in through the borders. It's got to be a problem. But you know, we didn't actually see them in big numbers. So, yeah, we looked at the prayer rugs and then, you know, didn't we have a committee report on that from Peter King?
0: Yeah, the line in the sand report came out in about 2006, and it was the first time publicly that it was exposed uh, by a government uh, task force that migration from the Middle East, from prayer rug countries was actually happening. Uh, I brought that report to my editors and said, I'd like to. Uh, follow up on this uh, journalistically. And I was referred to our two immigration reporters who are embedded at the border and went to them and asked uh, about, you know, what are you hearing? And they said, that is just a lie. None of that's true. That's just Republican stuff. Uh, that's not happening. Uh, and I was sort of shut down, but I kept going and was able to find immigration lawyers. I called five or six of them cold and said, who do you got? Clients. You got any Middle Eastern clients? And every single one of them had them. Yeah, I've got five Iraqis, three Pakistanis, and two Iranians. Yeah, I've got, you know, six Somalis and four Bangladeshis. And, you know, and it went like that. And still, when I went back to my editors, I was told, yeah, that's not really true. (laughs) And even if it is true, then it doesn't really mean anything. Just move along. (laughs) So, It really wasn't until I threatened to take the story to other publications on a freelance basis that the chief editor of the newspaper finally relented and said, yeah, you can do this story. And I ended up traveling all over the world and producing a five-part series on special interest alien migration that ran in Hearst newspapers in 2007. So that's 12 years ago, and, and that today was before, they're still talking.
1: That was before the explosion of the Middle East the way it is today.
0: Well, I mean at that – there's always some explosion. At that <laughs> time, it was Iraqis uh, from the from the Iraq war were coming over the border, and we didn't know who they were. Uh, they were coming over in pretty pretty significant numbers at that time, along with everybody else too – uh But, my point is that now i 'm hearing about everybody arguing about prayer rugs again, and so from my perspective it's just simply <laughs> laughable I mean I just can 't even believe it that that after twelve years of reporting on this, that it all is out there in the open that that they 're talking about this old trace evidence again and knocking it down, saying it 's not true it 's still a you know so that's that's from my perspective this is just uh pretty frustrating actually, especially. Because I was just down there in Panama and found hundreds of special interest aliens all on their way here.
1: Okay, so, so this is what I don't get. Nothing personal to me and my show and my audience, and God bless us all. But why is it that you even have time for me? No, I'm serious. Like, you know... (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm so far down the totem pole. I mean, why why aren't you all over Fox? I, I don't understand. You have the pictures, you have the videos, you have the exact locations of the particular type of camps. We link to this. We'll link to your um, previous show that you did with us. Um, where they were housed, obviously you can't give over classified information, but because you had access to it, there's no problem you, know, you coming out of the service and just acting on the leads that you know exist, and then as a reporter going there, and you went there. Um, why?
0: Why does no one talk about this? I, I honestly, I if I had an answer to that. First of all, I'm happy to be on your show anytime, <laughs> even if I wasn't <laughs> on that. Fox, and and I did have a. They did have me on for a few minutes uh, a couple weeks ago, but for the most part, uh, even uh, Fox News is having trouble. Uh, sort of ingesting this information as it is for facts. And uh, th- I heard and watched Mike Wallace on Fox News uh, just not long ago, interviewing the DHS secretary and telling her that there are no Middle Easterners coming across and, and that, the, that no terrorist suspects have crossed, uh, despite You know, massive evidence to the contrary that's been published and out in circulation for a long time, not only by my organization. And this is vetted information, information that is journalistically vetted and information that that the intelligence community uh, throughout the government knows full well is true.
1: This is what I can't wrap my arms around. Do we have to have fifty thousand, a hundred thousand apprehensions? I mean, at what point is it politically correct that you could talk about it? this? Really bothers me. This is very dangerous. It's not just about this. It's every national security threat that it's not a problem until it is. And you know, people warn about it. Hey, this is the next thing. You gotta, you gotta watch for this. And you're a kook and a conspiracy guy until it's true. But you know, we shouldn't have to wait for that. And what bothers me here is that. Look, I um, I I have some friends in the White House, a diminishing number of them, uh, but you know, they they get it, but they certainly don't know the details. And, and I talk with them, and I tell them about this stuff, and they're like, you know, with the president sitting with his cabinet meeting, he's clearly not getting this. It, could you explain to me how something that is so out in the daylight that you could report? on not just the existence of them, but the existence of DHS programs working with the Panamanian government to have a controlled flow of them to try to – now, we could disagree with their approach and say we need to more deter than manage, but nonetheless, that's what they're doing. And yet, it's almost like nobody in that room in the White House even knows about it. How? Like I was telling them, I need to get Todd Bensman in the White House to meet with you guys why is it that – and you never worked in the federal government. You worked in Texas government. Why is it that nobody seems to know about stuff that their agencies are doing?
0: Well, I, 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 talk, you know, I can't speak on behalf of the administration or any of those folks. I, I did see the president when he was on the border with the uh, Border Patrol's chief agent. And the agent on camera said to the president – while the cameras were rolling a whole bunch of press that they had caught 130 special interest aliens just the day before including Pakistanis and he listed a couple of other nationalities and Trump turned to the cameras and said, did you hear that? Did you people hear that? Look, listen to him. But you know, that clip never really went anywhere. Nobody ever published that clip. I found it on uh, a Twitter feed somewhere that somebody had found somewhere uh, just won't get out there. Nobody. It just the, the media just can't get it out there. But uh, or when it does get out there, it gets out there in a kind of a of a minimalist framing. For example, uh, there was an NBC report that talked about six terror watch listed migrants got caught in just the first half of 2018. The framing of the story was only six Terrorist suspects got to the border, whereas they should have just simply said six terrorist suspects got to the border that we know of. And, you know, here's what we well, we know that one terrorist can cause massive mayhem, six terrorists can cause a lot of political upset. The numbers do not have to be large. The numbers are typically small in terror attacks all terror attacks are onesies and twosies for the most part uh 9 11 was there were 19 involved and most are you know one guy with a machine gun somewhere in a shopping mall so if you look at europe uh which suffered uh, uh under a migration wave of about 2 million people in the span of about two two or two and a half years somewhere between 40 and 80 of those migrants, of those 2 million migrants, turned out to be terrorists, actors, who came in and conducted terrorist operations in Europe, in Germany, in Finland, in uh, the UK, and uh, all of them had applied for asylum. And as we know, just those 40 or 50 terrorists that came in with the migrants uh, just completely upended the post-World War II political order throughout the continent. Every single country, Germany, Finland, Sweden, uh, Brexit in, in the UK was all as a result of these terror Sorry. attacks that occurred that came in. So small numbers portend very, very outsized consequences. And so to say only six terror suspects came in over the U.S. border uh, is this very odd uh framing uh that's not a homeland security framing it's it's a It's a media framing it's a it's a liberal media framing it's coming from a certain bias uh but I can tell you that homeland security people like uh I was not that long ago when we see six people come to the border, that is a major major problem. There is a lot of stuff that happens. When even one of those guys gets caught at the border. So Homeland Security people look at this very, very differently.
1: Well, all I could tell you is in cabinet meetings, it's clearly not being articulated as well as you are today. I mean, clearly the president has to know about it. And like you indicated from that anecdote with the border agent he was you know really honed in on that like hey yeah listen to him like yeah i I know all about this and i'm sure he does he has to but again it's it's not being given over to the public properly it's being given over like it's some sort of like alex jones you know broadcast and you know no one else knows about it And he is some conspiracy there but it's like it's 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 laughable because it's just like, yeah, of course it's happening. And what I find interesting, I'm curious if you agree with this thesis. So, you know, at first, there's two steps to this. There's, you know, how many Middle Easterners are coming? And then among them, how many are terrorists? So they first started to say, well, there's very few terrorists. Now you think, okay, maybe they just stick to that argument. And, you know, fine. Yeah, they're coming, but they're, they're, they're just like asylees, you know, like they're, they're fine. Um, so, you know, if you see prayer rugs, You don't have to knock it down and say, no, it's not true. You say, all right, yeah, they're very religious Muslims coming over. but No, they're not not terrorists. Isn't it true, in fact, that the media understands, that the public understands intuitively, that when you have a growing trajectory of people coming over that are fervently religious from the Middle East, sure, they're not all going to be problems, but in large numbers, over time, you're going to cultivate a climate of, of radicalism that, Let me take this a step further from what you said with Europe. The problem with Europe is not just the 40 to 80 people that did the terror acts. It's that you have a lot more that are extremely radical, incompatible with the society there. You could go on and on about the different things that they had to do societally over the last number of years when they've had them. And you're starting to have homegrown terrorists. Um, I mean, heck, we had this guy that was you know, very low level and it was very early on, but with a plot to blow up the White House, and this guy from Atlanta, 21-year-old kid, Um, he... They still haven't talked about his immigration status. It could be he was born here. Maybe his parents came in the 90s and he was born later. Um, But, you know, you're not going to have... Here's my concern. And you could speak a lot to this because I know you've written on this even outside of the border. We have tons of people that come in through our visa system that turn out to freaking go back and train with Hezbollah while they're being naturalized as U.S. citizens and they were let in through the front door. So if you're going to tell me every year there's several thousand we apprehend, which means there's several thousand we don't apprehend, from the Middle East through our back door, which is a lot more sinister than our visa system, to me, there's a heck of a lot of problems we're going to be bringing in, even if they're not flagged on Interpol, if they're not flagged on some sort of database, because not all of all terrorists are, are known until they
0: strike. Okay, so it's you know that's why they the Homeland Security enterprise in this country has come up with a moniker for these kind of migrants, special interest aliens, because it it is not intellectually difficult to grasp that people coming from countries where there is a lot of um, extremist, uh, institutionally extremist teaching and thinking and uh, governing, that this particular kind of uh, pool is going to be a higher risk. It's a higher risk pool. Homeland Security Enterprise in the United States long ago recognized that that's just simply a higher risk. It doesn't mean that they're all going to commit terrorist acts. We know that that's not true but those among them uh have to be regarded as a higher risk just because of where they're coming from uh and the fact that that we don't know who they are they don't come in with ID sure. and we can't call their we can't call the Iranian government and ask them for a background check or the Assad regime or you know but the but, Somali but ta- 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 government that doesn't even
1: exist. I- I'm going to press you further on this because isn't it more than that? Even if you did have databases here, let me give you an example of what we spoke about on Friday with Mark Morgan, the former chief of, of border patrol in, in 2016. He said he agreed with my assertion that if you look at the hunt, we we've brought in about several hundreds of thousands of teenage migrants from Central America since 2014 2013 the UAC crisis began and you know if you would have looked at the time you know if you would have been able to vet every single one and like all right do you have an MS13 18th street gang card on you or not a couple of them were clearly but it wouldn't have been that many but what we did see is when you bring in hundreds of thousands over time we take stock after a few years we have an insane gang crisis in Fairfax County, Virginia, Montgomery County, Maryland, Long Island, many other places from a not unsubstantial portion of these UACs. And, you know, Mark would tell me he'd look in the holding facilities at these 17 year olds and he's like, I saw it in their eyes. This is what they were. So that's without the religious component. It's coming from a violent culture that's it's not, you know, um, doesn't have a religious component to it. But when you certainly in my mind, it's all the more so if you if you uh you apply that same principle to Middle Easterners coming over and you bring in every year so many, you know, mainly through your visas, but increasingly now through the border. My concern is this. You know, people are going to say, Daniel, you hate Muslims. But the reality is I'm a religious Jew. I pray every day. I, of all people, would totally appreciate having people that are monotheistic pray. I, I don't even if I don't I don't have to agree with the theological parts but heck i I would much rather have people like that than atheistic white liberals okay i i you know so you can't make this about race but the reality is we all understand it's not our fault that so much of this so much of these people um you know they might be one or two orbits away from terror maybe they're not even gonna commit terror attacks but it's this subversive culture and it clusters, and it multiplies in numbers. That's the lesson of Europe. That's what we're seeing in Brooklyn, New York, in in Minneapolis, and many other communities now, that it's, um, as the U.S. attorney from Minnesota and the the federal judge there said, tentacles spread wide. There's a terror recruiting problem in the community. But, but, you know, we always see it at the back end, at the front end. I don't think you could have vetted, hey, this guy comes in with a cute two-year-old kid. Does that two-year-old kid have a ISIS membership? No, of course not. You see what I'm getting at? I mean, isn't this ultimately a numbers game?
0: Well, sure it is. And it's also with with numbers comes resources. So it's a a numbers game coupled with uh, under-resourced programming. The Homeland Security apparatus in this country recognizes everything that you're saying about the the front door and the back door. It's just about uh, whether there are appropriate resources dedicated to it and the right programs at the right time and in the right place. And often what I hear out there in the debate about the wall and about, you know, uh, you know, the front door uh, visa issuances and you know that, that goes to the Muslim, quote unquote, the Muslim travel ban, which it's not uh, all of those kind of things get get kind of pitched out there as an either or proposition. Well, they're coming in through the front door. I saw somebody write a columnist, write, <laughs> uh, Why are you worried about the back door? We have to worry about the front door. You idiot. And, and my then they response Trump to that from doing is the front door. <laughs> <laughs> well, then they, yeah, and there's that, but it's not an either or proposition. We can do both and we should do both. We should have programs and vetting uh, protocols for, special interest migration coming in through Latin America and what we have now with uh, our visa vetting systems and uh, the travel ban quote unquote and all of those things there's room for all of it it's like asking a travel uh, it's like asking a traffic cop to you know catch people for speeding and drunk driving it's not a – don't, they don't have time just to do speeding. They can do drunk driving too, and those two go together. They're related, and we do do both of those, and a lot more than that are police. So it's just a false uh, proposition that gets put out there all the time. We do both, and we should do yep. both, but we are not doing both in the right way because one of these nobody knows anything about.
1: It, it, exactly, and it's also – it's a growth trajectory bothers me. You were the first person I did not know about this. It was from you. I don't think anyone knew about it until you put it out publicly. That Jay Johnson in June of 2016 said, "Hey, this is a growing problem. We we need to do something about this." I mean, imagine Obama. Well, yeah, yeah,
0: I, I try. I, listen, Daniel, I trot that out all the time because I, even in my column today, I, I've mentioned it three different times because by this point, you know, you're reading the Washington Post saying this is a right wing conspiracy. Uh, This thing about Muslims coming in over the border and this kind of crazy, uh, you know, Alex Jones kind of thing. And so now I feel compelled to say, look, I've got pretty good company on this issue. This is a Democratic appointee to the Department of Homeland Security cabinet post level. And Jay Johnson thought in 2016 that things had become so grave with the traffic coming in from Latin America, from the Middle East that he ordered up a massive, unprecedented program to counter special interest alien traffic coming in through yeah. Latin America. That's, that's no doubt because he was watching what was happening in Europe right about that time. So I've got pretty good company here. This is not crackpot stuff. This is Jay Johnson.
1: And this is the problem. And look, people like us are all often sandwiched in between because often the few people willing to tackle this stuff, they get a little kooky on you. They get their facts wrong. So the other side uses that to discredit it. And then, you know, oh, so I don't see it. It doesn't exist. And then we're like, well, really, we have to wait until it gets at bed. But this is part of a general trend that we always have to wait um, until it's like hits you in the face. So, you know. This their whole points of entry argument. No, the drugs are coming at points of entry. Yeah, but increasingly the latest trend, because of the distraction of the Central Americans that they tie up the agents three hundred at a time lining up. They never had that before with the Mexicans because they just you know dispersed and wanted to get in undetected. Here they want to claim asylum, so it ties them up. So now they actually do use in between the points of entry to bring in drugs. That is the latest trend, and you know, but they're always battling yesterday's battle. It's the same thing, you know. In, in uh, during the DACA amnesty, we we're like, you don't understand. This is going to spawn a whole new wave from Central America. Shut up, Daniel. It's not true. Uh well, Im- is, immigration this is, this is down.
0: To, this goes back to the the false proposition that keeps getting. It, it's not about whether you just crack down on drugs at the ports of entry. Oh, we, why are we worried about between ports of entry when a lot of drugs, fifty percent, come in at the port. Do both. There's room for both. Why, why is it just one or the other? How about both?
1: But, but, but I, I still think what's really fascinating about this rug story is I think – see, they know that most Americans feel like like I do. Uh, the media knows that because otherwise, what, what, what do you care about prayer rugs? And, and like I said, I have no problem with that inherently. I would embrace that. I want people to pray. But I think it's that we all know, and it's not our fault, we didn't do this, this is their problem, that... Unfortunately, unlike when you have religious Christians and Jews, where it would be remarkably rare for a guy to you know sit and you know do Bible study on a train and then all of a sudden blow people up, if you see a Muslim very fervent doing that, you're naturally scared because a lot of that is associated with it. Not all of them are going to be doing that. Some of them could be really good guys, but it's more than just a few people. It's an entire culture, and this gets me to my next thing to move a little bit away from the border. Because, you know, you're not just border, you're counterterrorism in general, and I really want to get into this. I'm bothered by, again, moving on today's theme of failing to look ahead of the curve and adapt to the latest trajectory, the latest threat doctrine, the latest strategic threat of our enemies. My problem is that in general, I think too much of our intel, political culture, and certainly media culture is focused on nine eleven, meaning that the only problem and even predominant problem we face, threat, looming threat, is a command and control style attack. Okay, so it's um, a guy up in Al Qaeda or a similar organization says, "All right, you fifteen guys, you're going to go in, get these visas, hide yourself in this way at this time to come into America on such and such date and do the such and such t- attack at that time." So yes, theoretically, if that were the only threat we faced, then if you had really good intel and vetting, you could vet that out. My concern is, as we've seen from Europe and as we've seen from the evolving decentralization of the jihad in America as well, is that it's a culture that we've brought in 2.2 million individuals from 47 predominantly Islamic countries just on green cards alone since 9-11, not including all the student visas. Um, over time you know they radicalize unlike in the past where they could sever their ties they get Al- alman um satellite TV they get uh you know you have the internet um there's a lot of second generation problems with the you know maybe the parents are busy earning a living but the kids get radicalized and everyone's like oh was that Isis was that was that did Isis do that Well, ISIS didn't do anything. Now, they might like ISIS. They might have ISIS paraphernalia. They might even want to go to the Middle East and fight for them. But they're really just freelance jihadists. I mean, hasn't the jihad decentralized? And isn't that not something that you could vet out if you're going to bring in hundreds of thousands of them every year?
0: Oh, that's a big question. Um, Yes, the threat, the jihadi threat is disaggregated. It's disaggregated because it is adaptive, and it's adaptive uh, because at least the United States uh, countered it successfully. Uh, it's, It's very difficult to now and highly risky to try to put together a command and control style attack in the United States. Uh, the more of that you try, the higher your risk of getting caught. You know, you're at the store buying things. You're, there's communication. There's money transferring. And the way we've got things now is there are tripwires all over the place, all over the world. So it's very difficult to do that. So, so what's happened is it's just sort of the threats evolved to loan offenders. Uh, and you've got one-offs and two-offs uh, that we see all the time now. Uh, we could really see it visibly uh, with the rise of ISIS uh, because we had Americans uh, or U.S. residents suddenly wanting to join them and we were catching them. Uh, We've caught it I think, I believe, I haven't seen the latest figures but uh, I want to say there's been at least 200 prosecutions in the United States of people who were either attempting to travel or who actually did travel and Some of them came back and that really kind of put a light on, you know, the extent of the problem. And and that was in the United States. It was, it was far less uh, prevalent, that sort of thing than in Europe and other places. But but uh, i
1: I, sorry to interrupt you, but uh, that's a very important point. This is what pisses me off, Todd. Well, you just said it's true what you're saying, but like. A lot of people are like, Daniel, we're not Europe yet. I I understand. I could give you reasons why we're not yet Europe. But do we have to wait till we get like Europe to stop this? Uh,
0: Well, yeah. I mean, you know, listen, um, Europe is behind us in terms of uh, counterterrorism. We're behind Israel by a long way because they've been doing it a lot longer. On 9-11, we started to get good at counterterrorism. Israel got good at counterterrorism in about 1949 because they had no choice. Uh, We had to get good at counterterrorism on September 12th, 2001. Uh, Europe never bothered until 2015. The way that the Islamic uh, state was able to put together a command and control attack on Paris and Brussels is because Europe was sleeping at the wheel. They didn't have it together. They, they weren't sharing intelligence. They didn't have the databases. Their laws were, uh, you know, were, were, ran counter to, to good intelligence and good policing. Um, and so it was wide open for a command and c- control style, 9-11 style attack in Europe. But, uh, you know, the Europeans are getting better at it now. Uh, They're learning from us. They're taking cues from the Israelis. They're learning how to do counterterrorism. And one would hope that what we hear from this point on is is onesies and twosies there like we have onesies and twosies here. You know, a guy in Orlando, you know, slaughters 50 uh, gay people at a nightclub. Uh, One guy with a gun, Uh, that sort of thing. Terrible, Uh, not minimizing it. But Uh, That's still somewhat different than um, what we're what we saw in Paris in 2015, where you had multi location attacks, you know, very well coordinated with communication and funding and, uh, you know, by by a large group of uh, deployed operatives right? You can't get away with that very well anymore. Sure. I don't know if that gets at your question. It's a big question, but...
1: No, no, I mean, but th- that, um, that's the point. It's adapted. It's adapted, and and I I don't think yeah. our tactics are adapting that we're just focused on vetting. In other words, if we're going to continue record high immigration from the Middle East, I I guess what bothers me is this. Look, we're not even doing the vetting part. Even the known guys, we're missing a lot of them, so certainly there's a lot of uh, silent ones. Could you speak a little bit about the Ali Karani situation and what we're seeing—how, you know, why we should be concerned about the border when people that even come through the front door, we clearly didn't vet enough that they're downright naturalizing as citizens, while not just hating America, which there's unfortunately plenty of those, but even going operational and and going back to Lebanon and training in cloak and dagger tactics.
0: Yeah, so Ali Karani, uh, you're referring to the uh, Brooklyn, New York uh, court case. There's a federal prosecution there, two of them, of Hezbollah Unit 910 operatives. They caught them and prosecuted them both, and they're they're actually the prosecutions are live right now. So, uh, you know, I have to use words like alleged. Sure. Uh, but anyway, Ali Karani uh, came in as a lawful uh, resident from cyprus that's all we know about how he got in from the court records but we know that he was uh, tightly wound with hezbollah in lebanon before he ever came his whole family was Uh, whether that intel was used in his vetting i i don't know hopefully it'll come out at trial or in the court proceedings but he was an operative. He he was uh, once he got his U.S. Uh, residency, and then on the day he got his his citizenship with a passport, he was put into action as a clandestine intelligence collecting Hezbollah operative. And the same with Samir El Debek, who was uh, uh, also a Lebanese emigre uh, living in the Dearborn, Michigan area. And both of these gentlemen. Uh, were sent around the world to collect targets. They also were sent around the United States to collect target information on Israelis and Jewish business people and uh, sensitive security uh, infrastructure, security-related infrastructure. And they were going back and forth between New York and Michigan to Lebanon to get training in... Weapons. Uh, I mean, these these nine ten operatives are not just intelligence collectors; they're also operatives. So when they uh, when when their handlers flick the switch and say uh, go kill, they are able to pick up a gun and go kill too. They know how to do that.
1: So so so, uh, Todd, you're two, telling me yeah. that you know my concern was much less. My concern was all these kind of freelance dudes that you know they they might have a pipe bomb or something. It's not going to be a like you know kill so many people. Um, we're certainly not going to vet out those. You know. A lot of them aren't born or their kids when their families come over, and there's no way of vetting that. But moreover, we're not even vetting out, like you just said, the operational dudes, like a guy that could go back and travel while he's naturalizing.
0: No, I mean, there's clearly imperfections in the systems that we've built after 9-11. Uh, we've caught a lot, though. Uh, I will say that, that we have vetted out a lot, but it's it's imperfect. It can always be improved. Uh, we have lots and ca- lots of cases of uh, immigrants who came in through legal. A great example is the, the two Iraqis that we brought in to Kentucky, Bowling Green, Kentucky, uh, a few years ago. And then they got caught. They were. It turns out that they, were, they had uh, hidden histories as al-Qaeda operatives. They brought their ideology and their uh, plans with them and they put together a plot to uh, conduct uh, mayhem here in the US and also to uh, put together weapons shipments to s- send back home got caught up in an FBI sting there and we somehow missed that they were al-Qaeda guys They just didn't have the intel or, you know there's always a reason why we just didn't well, you know we we couldn't vet them out we didn't we didn't vet them out
1: wait, wait so Todd Todd I re- freeze frame right there I have a question for you right on that so we're saying refugees, which is where we are proactive. We go and search you out. We vet you. We say, okay, I want to pick those people. We've had a ton of problems from Iraq, not just the Bowling Green. Um, I've read, oh, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. from Texas. There's been some. There was a recent one in Nevada. Um, and these are ones we vetted. So isn't it safe to say, Todd, that if that by a measure of of ten, it's it's much worse if you're coming through our back door from Iraq, the notion that isn't more likely there's going to be a problem with you.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's hard to say whether there's more, it's more likely or not, but, but what has to happen is vetting. And, you know, sometimes it's just an imperfect process. You just can't, you just can't get it. I mean, you can always improve it. And I think even the Obama administration after the Bowling Green case you know, they they halted the entire Iraqi program for about six months so that they could get it straightened away. They started it again and, and guys still got caught, uh, you know, ended up in the United States. They still got through even with the improved vetting. So, you know, the travel ban uh, was, you know, one effort to kind of address that, uh, which is often misunderstood and mischaracterized. Sure. But, um, you know... It, you know We had a, a case just a few months ago, I wrote about it, of some a family of Somalis that uh, moved to Tucson, were granted refugee status, a whole family. Turns out all of them were deeply intertwined with al-Shabaab, the terrorist organization over there, uh, and had lied about it and made up fake names and got their visas and were not vetted. Uh, somehow they, they you know, slipped through the vetting. And now they're thankfully under prosecution in Arizona. But, you know, I mean, you can just go on and on. Sure. There's a number of these cases that are public that we know about. But, you know, I, I can tell you that without giving you details, that there are many more cases that have never been made public that are just bone chilling, just scary. You cannot even believe what's not public on that issue
1: because these these schleppers are are getting through so i can imagine if you're a real operational well trained guy you could you could get through i mean j- just this guy again from atlanta i don't i don't know if you followed it much but to me that's a big story and it was just it was a blip it was like an hour in the media and that's it i understand it was at its early stages when the fbi caught him i mean he didn't have any ability to do anything but again the fact that we have a 21 year old kid that I have to assume he was either born here or was brought here very young just because, I mean, I didn't see anything on his immigration status, the nationality where he came from. I mean, nothing, even conservative media. No one was able to get that information. Um, to me, that just tells me, think hundred fifty to 170,000 green cards to 47 majority Muslim countries year after year after year. I don't understand how that's not a prima facie threat.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I hear what you're saying. Uh, you know, those are you know policy kind of issues that are way above you know our pay grade, of course. <laughs> but you know what we do know is is that you know we have a threat level that is that has remained fairly constant with that population. And it's indicated not by body count. A lot of times people say, well, look, how many dead do we have? We don't have it like there's not very many bodies. I hate but that. that's yeah. not how that's that's not how you judge threat. You judge threat by thwarted plots as well as body count, because if you're if you're catching the criminals <laughs> uh, before they can do something, that that is an indication of threat. Right just because they didn't carry through and kill people. Uh, and, you know, we've had hundreds of terrorism prosecutions since 9-11, hundreds in this country. Oh yeah, um, It I wasn't that long, maybe at a year ago, I did, the, I did some math, and I remember coming up with, had all of these guys gotten through and, uh, you know, completed what they wanted to complete, we'd have like about, you know, 15 or 18 terror attacks every month in this country since 9/11, and that is the indicator of of threat, and it doesn't seem to be letting up. And I, I'd say it went it, it increased during the ISIS years, uh, and now we'll just wait to see what it morphs into.
1: Yeah, I mean that, that, that's the thing. Like like you just said, I I found this. Amazing, just just amazing to think about. um who was it? It was Comey himself. you know, everyone knows about him from the whole fight with Trump, but you know he was FBI director and it wasn't all about Mueller and this and that. You know, we used to you know ha- have him before Congress to testify in different things. And, and he said he testified in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. I believe this was May of 2017. So this was already under Trump, but I think it was before the whole thing boiled over with him. That there were two thousand plus violent extremist investigations underway, and that about three hundred of them, three hundred of them, I have his testimony here if you if you uh, if you need it. It's a Washington Post article. Um, three hundred of them were refugees. Um. That,
0: yeah, I remember that testimony. He he said there were there were they had counterterrorism investigations active in all fifty states. Uh. And yeah, I mean you know. Comey, say what you will about him. He was a pretty good counterterrorism guy. Uh, and under him, you know, the FBI has just really uh, knocked him dead. I mean, it's just they really have just, you know, case after case uh, and state after state. Um, but, you but, know, but it's, but but, it's, but, 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 it's, but Todd, I mean, like, again, it's like,
1: I don't know. I, I bring a freezer into my home and then turn on the heat. Like, don't well, you know what I mean? Like at some point, could we prosecute <laughs> our way out of this problem? I my my fear is this, and I wanna know if you agree, and or maybe maybe it's not this bad. My fear is that we're like what Europe was in the eighties and early nineties, where it was lurking, you didn't have much of a, a body count, but that's when the numbers were filling up, the communities were clustering, the infrastructure of all these organizations that you know, really radicalize them, not not in the Middle East, but on our shores in Europe or festering. And then at some point over the last decade, it just exploded. And now you have massive body counts there. I don't want that in America, but I don't understand how if we continue on this immigration rate, number one, and then number two, if you could talk about because I know you're an expert on this. There's, it's bad enough in my mind if you bring in record numbers of you know people from the Middle East before you could assimilate them. Nidal Nidal al-Siyad, you might remember him, from Beaumont, Texas. He went on Sean Hannity's show in 2015. And he said, look, I'd consider it a very wise move to hold any Muslim immigration or even visitors until we know that all Muslims really understand what it takes to live in the Western countries. It's fine. He said, we were already having a recruitment problem with our youth. We got to deal with what's already here. But it's worse than that because this guy was beaten up by the Muslim brother. He was fired. My problem is this, that you're bringing people into a climate where the the infrastructure and organizations that run the Muslim communities, it, it doesn't have to be this way, and it shouldn't be this way, but they're the problem. So they, they, they radicalize them. I mean, isn't this what the lesson we're seeing 10 years after the Holy Land Foundation trial?
0: Yeah, another big question. Uh, it's It's just really hard to um, issue kind of a blanket. I hear what you're saying, uh, but what, and and especially in the years right after 9-11, you had organizations like CARE and uh, other, you know, I put in big quotation marks, uh, Islamic civil rights groups that would run around the country to communities and proselytize, never talk to the FBI, never cooperate with the FBI. It's basically a, a, a counter snitching campaign or something uh because they're going to kind of roll you up uh you know and so they they would sow a lot of fear but then you know we also see cases where the communities actually rat their people out the bad guys out and i think that the, the case there was a recent case i can't think of his name right now but a very recent case we've all been writing and reading about him lately i think that was um That individual was initially outed by, you know, one of the mosques where they said, hey, this guy, this guy's going to be just trouble for us. So it's kind of a mixed bag with all of that, you know. Um, Also, it's just probably politically untenable at some point (laughs) to argue that, as as we saw with the the travel ban, (laughs) that, you know, we we should put, you know, Restrictions are really tight, you know. Low caps on people from a certain, from you know, religious, you know, majority countries, right? Of a religion, you just—it's just, just going to be tough to fly that one.
1: But but then I, you know. I, I understand, I understand what you're saying because what Trump did was just six out of forty-seven, fifty or so countries, and but you know, I would argue the public supported it. it was the courts that that violated um, sovereignty, and the Supreme Court finally had to slap them down? But they're coming back for more. Um, I get it, but I'm just saying, is there a way you could vet yourself out of that? Um, especially because we're not. To me, it's a two part approach. It's the immigration numbers, um, and I know this is not so much your comfort zone. This is more the other half of CIS. You know, your your colleague Stephen Camerata, he knows all the census data. He could tell you um, immigration for the Middle East is the fastest growing subset, and and that's my thing. There's one thing to say. No Muslims. Well, okay, that's kind of a straw man. We're just saying, well, should we make it the fastest growing subset at a time when there's so much radicalism, assimilation problems, internet, cyber jihad that connects them to the Middle East? And then, like you said, if we're not doing you know we do clearly have people we're working with positively, but then we also have, you know, care and these organizations that, you know, create problems for for these people.
0: Yeah, I was just interviewed by the Daily Mail uh, doing a story about the two-year anniversary of the travel ban, and the reporter, uh, you know, who interviewed me, clearly had talked to a lot of other people who were, you know, highly critical of that policy as like it was some kind of a racist thing, or you know, anti-religious uh, bias or something like that with with the thing. But but from a homeland security perspective, and this is what I told her is that it made eminent sense to have a ban on those countries because if you take a look at those countries, they are incapable of helping us vet their uh, populations that wanna come here. Somalia is a great, great example from 1990 until very recently, they had no government at all. Nobody had a birth certificate. Anybody born after 1990 didn't get driver's licenses there were no police forces to arrest people for rape uh, so that uh, or bank robbery or, you know, any kind of violent crimes that would leave a record. And so people who were applying to um, become refugees or to immigrate to the United States from Somalia, born after 1990 or even before 1990, because the records are gone, uh, you know, how are you going to vet them? Yeah. And I raised this to her and she said, well, okay, I get that, but you know, for how long? <laughs> and I said, but that's not I our fault. I'm like, right. Like, I mean, I guess th-
1: th- this it's is forever. Because- Todd, this is what pisses me off. I don't, you and I don't hate anyone. Right? We, we And like I said, personally speaking for myself, I actually would appreciate more monotheistic people that share my views, you know, on traditional values. I actually would want that. I, I, it's not a race thing. It's not a, it's just like, what do you want from us? This is the learned experience that 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 part and parcel of fervent adherence to Sharia is a very substantial amount of people that that believe in very problematic things, and whereas in America you're allowed to believe in anything you want unless until you act on it, First Amendment, but you don't have a right to immigrate. Um, and that's the book I wrote. You know, it's again my area of expertise. What I look at is what you just said. Um, Somali. Somali is living in Minneapolis. U.S. Attorney Andrew Luger, I'm not sure if he's still there, but he said a couple of years ago that there's quote a terror recruiting problem in Minnesota. Um, that is, is, and he says not just uh, overseas, but quote maybe their best friend right here in town. The federal judge in that area, after viewing one of the cases, concluded that quote this community needs to understand there's a jihadist cell in this community. Its tentacles spread out that's what scares me
0: well and he would be in a position to know he would have access to intelligence uh one would presume he had he was speaking from uh from a point of view of uh, knowledge so uh but yeah i mean you know look these communities have uh already uh had individuals uh who have been prosecuted uh who have gone overseas Uh, To fight, to do the jihad, and and if they can't go overseas, they do it here. And, uh, yeah, we I I have a a piece coming out in PJ Media here in the next day or two about a Texas uh, resident, born, raised, uh, educated here in Texas, who went over there and became ISIS's chief propagandist, as I call him, the Joseph Goebbels of (laughs) ISIS, and he's still there. And my question is, where is he? And his wife and four children are back here in Texas. Uh, so I'm just raising questions. About, exactly. I mean, they're I, I, they're, they're in, in all of our communities, but uh, that guy actually was a, a convert because he got into one of the communities uh, in, in the college town of College Station, and uh, he was radicalized there and ended up dedicating his life to jihad. And we don't know if he's dead or alive, but uh, when John Georgialis is his name, when he is ever apprehended or his remains are found, but if he's apprehended, we'll have a John Walker Lynn type uh, trial. It'd be very fascinating.
1: Wow. No, and there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that we're seeing. I'm forever seeing people arrested there. And this is what kind of concerns me that we're very focused on the Middle East as if somehow you could like, Quell the problem there and protect your homeland, but then bring in hundreds of thousands of every year from those countries. It's a homeland problem now. I mean, that's when I see the 21 year old in Atlanta, you have these stories every day, like you said, that the FBI is thwarting, and, and, and that's great. But then the next question should be where is this coming from? Who, what's the orbit around them? Isn't it in fact true from your experience covering, covering the Holy Land Foundation trial? That if we would actually uncover the stones and really pursue that issue, we would find that a significant number of the charities and infrastructure that run these communities, not that the people necessarily even know about it, but at a leadership level that they're hooked into terror mm-hmm. finance.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've always had that. I mean, you can't you can't run a terrorist organization overseas if you're not you know, funding yourself. So Hezbollah has, um, you know, tentacles like that all over the world. Uh, Hamas is here. Uh, the Holy Land Foundation, uh, which is, the you know, the largest uh, material support case the government's ever uh, successfully prosecuted, you know, tens of millions of dollars raised under the guise of a regular charity sent straight to the um, Hamas Zakat committees over there funding suicide bombing. Um, you know, those, those kind of organizations are uh, functional and they're in communities and they're undercover and uh, have to be rooted out. And they do get rooted out from time to time, but then they morph into something else and they just do it, do it a different way. And, you know, for the years that it takes to uncover, Holy Land Foundation took about 15 years to finally roll up. They started that case in 96 Mm. and didn't get everybody in prison until 2008, just to give you an idea of how long these things take. And two of the Holy Land Foundation indictees are still on the lam. They got away and are fugitives. So they still didn't get everybody there. But point being is, yeah, of course, um, you know, this is America is the land of plenty for terrorist financing, (laughs)
1: Yeah, and, and and again, this does tie into bodies. You know, what what scares me is that, you know, I always felt we need to do to these organizations what we did to the KKK. We need to totally go after them, marginalize them in every way, so that, you know, people like um I don't know, this 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 imam we quoted here, or, you know, the very small people associated with the reform movements. That they're the voice; they're the ones brought into the NGOs. The NGOs brought into government to help, uh, you know, with terrorism, not bringing in care on counterterrorism. You know, DHS, like we had throughout Obama's tenure, because what scares me with that is that you know you're just setting up these new immigrants for failure, because they're going into communities that are being run by organizations that are legitimized by government and certainly the media that are are part of the problem. Um so I just think it's like it's so much more of a homeland problem versus what we do overseas. Um just any any closing thoughts before we wrap this up?
0: I mean, I'm not so sh- I'm not sure I completely agree with that. I th- I think that what what happens here often is tied to what's happening overseas. I think they're they're actually pretty intertwined. Uh you can take um You know, uh, even even an organization like ISIS, uh, that even though it's been um, territorially dismantled for the most part, still runs a very, very robust uh, propaganda machine that is influential and has blood on its hands. Uh, And people in the United States are, um, you know, young men and uh, middle aged men, even and even some women are still very influenced by that propaganda. Now, we just had a case very recently of a, another FBI case of somebody who was trying to go overseas to join ISIS, even after the territorial uh, caliphate up. collapsed. Like, there was nowhere to go. Like, where were you gonna go, kid? <laughs> you know, were you gonna like, try to sneak in through the Kurdish know, I mean, how is that gonna work? But that's how powerful that, that Propaganda is, and so we we are intertwined with what's happening over there, and what the terrorist organizations are doing.
1: Yep. Uh, Ultimately, it's like what Mark Morgan said on Friday. Friday. It's uh, it's it's all of the above, including the wall, all in the wall. You know, you got to do it all. You know, it's not an either or, as you said. Um, uh, It's got to be border visas, counterterrorism, good intel, good coordination. So much good information as always. Full hour. Really appreciate this time,
0: folks. And that certainly was certainly not, yeah. yeah. It's certainly Sorry. not denial. Denial, denialism of the sort that we're seeing right now that this prayer rug thing showed up is not helping. If as long as you're denying the facts on a widespread media supported basis, you're not going to get the homeland security attention that's required for the backdoor thing that we're talking about. And I'll just leave it at that.
1: Brilliantly said, and we will link to your piece where you have the short version of this. This was your long version, exclusive to my audience. Thanks for the Intel briefing as always. We'll have you back again. Folks, that was Todd Benzman, former... Texas DPS Intel officer, as well as an ace journalist covering counterterrorism. And he's back on the beat today. He's going to be back on the beat tomorrow. You want to follow him at Benzman Todd on Twitter. If you're not, you're missing information that you will not see anywhere. He also covers the caravan very well at Benzman Todd. We'll link to his work at CIS as well. We're going to have more tomorrow on the border for Amnesty DL. Big problem coming up there. Till next time, God bless y'all. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.